Welcome to Modern Babylon. This is Cultural Contrarian. Today I want to dive a little bit deeper on actually the meaning of words, the use of words, and then how words turn into law. And how we often hear words and apply a societal interpretation to those words as opposed to the true meaning of them. And I'll I'll give you a simple example. There's one word that's part of our natural language and we use it quite frequently. That's the word love. But the word love is much more encompassing. And I think the Greek language has a better way of describing the different types of love. So this is just one word that we use, but the Greeks have four different ways of describing it. So one word is storgy. And storgy is like liking someone through the fondness or familiarity, family members, or people who relate in familiar ways that have otherwise found themselves bonded by chance. Some call it familial love. Another word is philios, like in the beginning of Philadelphia, of brotherly love is the love between close friends. It's a strong and lasting bond between people with common values, interests, or activity. Another one we may be familiar with is eros. It's like being in love or loving someone. The difference between wanting a woman and wanting only one particular woman, devotion. And another is agape. It's a sacrificial love without conditions. It exists in good times and bad, regardless of changing of circumstances or the influences of others. It's unthrottled, unrestrained, sacrificial, emotional love. So, but we we kind of wrap that all into one word. But when we are navigating life, we have our own interpretation or definition or meaning behind words. And depending upon how someone is using it in the context of a sentence, they may have a particular indication of how they would want that word used. But we may have our own interpretation of that word. We live in a society that has been constructed around us. It it starts like from the top of the pyramid. And sometimes we don't understand how that pyramid really is built. But at the very, very, very top of the pyramid, we would call it the elites. These are the the very powerful and influential families that have incredibly massive amounts of wealth. But right underneath of them will be a particular class of people. And we would call them the lawyers. And the lawyers are the ones that are protecting the elites between the layer just underneath of the lawyers, and that's the government. See, the government is heavily populated with the profession of lawyers because it drafts the legislation, the laws, the statutes, the ordinances to govern and rule a civilized society. And the way they do that is they use the language of law and the legalese and the Latin to formulate that. Now, part of that formulation is tied to the transfer of money through contracts and notes and agreements 
that are bound in legal. So the, the elites lean heavily upon the lawyerly profession to protect their wealth and or to acquire more. And the governments are replying, relying upon the lawyers in the creation of the laws and legislation and statutes. But then underneath of the government, you have the very large corporations, the industries, the industrial complexes, may even have branches of government underneath of government that operate as their own entities. And those are all governed by contracts and agreements as well for the protection of the stockholders, the owners, the shareholders, the employees, the contracts with relationships with subcontractors or their supply chain, transportation, raw materials. So the lawyers are involved in that as well. Then you have in down there a little bit further is local governments or municipalities, then you have small private businesses, then you may have nonprofit organizations wrapped in there as well. But at the very bottom of the chain are we the people. And we the people are bound by the laws and statutes and ordinances and codes and permits and licensing that is all crafted through the legislation. One thing that's very getting a tremendous amount of awareness right now with the, as a result of some of the pressures that have been bearing down on society related to some viruses that, that have been mutating and processing through the population and the government's remedy to ameliorate the negative consequences relative to getting sick. They've had medical devices being required for traveling on planes or trains, navigating in the public square, going into a restaurant, going into a public building, putting on these masks. And then you have these public institutions like the school systems where the government has created these policies and mandates for what should be happening inside those schools. And there's a little bit more attention in those areas and parents are getting incredibly frustrated for what has happened for 18 months, approaching two years to their own children under these lawyerly mandates and guidelines and not understanding the meaning of these words. I've often said that ignorance of the law is not a defense of the law in the court of law. And that means that as a citizen, it is our duty to know the law. Now, I'm not a lawyer, and I wouldn't even use the two words that go together to identify that I would self-represent. I'm not. But it's not me being informed of the law is not a bad thing. And it's not that it's a profession that I chose. It's, it's my understanding of my duty and responsibility if I want to navigate this world free, that I have a kind of a duty to know those. And I personally invested time in doing that, as, as you heard in my previous story, based upon some negative things that happened to me, not only from the overreaching powers of authority and whether it be law enforcement or the lawyerly class or three-letter agencies that were trying to destroy my business. I had to dive into the meaning of those words. And it's pretty horrifying. Now, I'll just give you an example. Um, we've heard of the word called 
automobile. We've also heard of the word motor vehicle. And we would think they would mean the same thing, an automobile or motor vehicle. So a motor vehicle is going to capture, I don't know, an 18-wheeler, a, a dump truck, a motorcycle, a moped, maybe a bicycle that's got a little 12-volt battery on it. An automobile, you're going to consider more of like a, a passenger vehicle. But those words have specific meaning in accordance with the law and traffic codes and ownership and the ability to I don't know, move on the roads. Now, there's a class of people that really get into the finite, discrete details of the meaning of those words and and what you're doing in that container that is moving along the roads. And they make statements that I have the right to, the right to lawfully travel unmolested as long as I'm not conducting commerce. And there's a, a very valid argument for how they rip apart those ro- words when you look at the way the laws have been been written and standing on those laws, a reasonable person will recognize, yeah, I have the right to freely travel unmolested and that I am not obligated to enter into a contract with the state to get a driver's license or a registration or insurance. Those are all consent. We do those under consent. But I want to dive a little bit deeper because people that have run across me in the public space and um, see me do presentations have heard me rattle off what are called U.S. codes. And I wanted to kind of tell you what a U.S. code is. So I'm going directly to the government.info site about the United States Code. And this is exactly what it says. I'm reading it word for word. The United States Code is the codification by subject matter of the general and permanent laws of the United States. It is divided by broad subjects into 53 titles and published by the Office of Law Revision Council of the House of Representatives. The U.S. Code was first published in 1926. The main edition was published in 1934, and subsequent main editions have been published every six years since 1934. And it goes on to continue. But these are codification by subject matter of the general and permanent laws of the United States. So I'm just going to bring two of them to your attention and read them to you. And I'm going to slow and emphasize a few words as I go through this. So this is 18 U.S. Code 241. It's called Conspiracy Against Rights. Bear with me, ready? If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, possession, or district in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or laws of the United States, or because of having so exercised the same, or 
If two or more persons go in disguise on the highway or on the premises of another with the intent to prevent or hinder his free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege so secured, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than two years or both. And if death results from the acts committed in violation of this section, or if such acts include kidnapping, or an attempt to kidnap, aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to kill, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for any term of years or for life or both, or may be sentenced to death. This is a very powerful statute, uh, pardon me, code. And you heard the statement about those in uniform, regardless of the uniform, We, if we encounter authority, or if the authority is in uniform, and two of them are present, two, so you're standing in a hallway of a post office, and you're gathering information of public interest to disseminate to public people, as if I need to go, and I need to go to the post office and ship something from my post office. And I just want to document a record of me going to the post office, handing them the package, me paying the fee for the package, and having them receive the package, and then I leave the post office. I just want to capture an objective record that I actually did send that package to someone. It's no longer in my custody. It's in the custody of the post office. And if I have any dispute, the dispute is with the post office and not me because I have evidence of me having sent the parcel. But in the event someone gets upset that I'm documenting that transaction, someone may call the police. And the police may try to intimidate me, potentially threaten me, coerce me, try to put me in in a position that I'm not able to leave unless I answer their questions. But I'm a law-abiding citizen. And I didn't do anything wrong. There's no expectation of privacy in public. And we'll, we'll talk about this in more detail. But whatever an officer does, they have the ability to do it as long as I consent. But once I don't consent, and I let them know that I don't consent, and everything that they're doing to me is based upon their authority, they're acting outside of their authority because I haven't done anything wrong. And the only thing that could possibly happen is I could trap myself in speaking and incriminate myself. But this code and understanding the words in it gives me the power to stand in front of an authority figure and say, stop, pause. And in cultural contrarian in our lessons, we kind of teach in more detail how to be safe in these kind of situations. But let's move to another code. This is 18 U.S. Code 242. It's deprivation of rights under color of law. And the very first word is very, very important, and I want you to hear it. And it says, whoever, whoever, under color of any law, statute, ordinance, regulation, or custom, 
willfully subjects any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, possession, or district to the deprivation of right, any rights, privileges, or immunities secured or protected by the Constitution or laws of the United States, or to different punishment, pains, or penalties on account of such person being an alien or by reason of his color or race than are prescribed for the punishment of citizens shall be fined under this title and imprisoned not more than one year or both. And if bodily injury results from the acts committed in violation of this section or such acts include the use, attempted use, or threatened use of a dangerous weapon, explosives, or fire, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. And if death results from the acts committed in violation of this section, or if such acts include kidnapping or an attempt to kidnap, aggravated sexual abuse or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse or an attempt to kill shall be fined under this statute or imprisoned for any term of years or for life or both or may be sentenced to death. Now I just want to, I said only two, but I'm going to read one more because there's a little bit of overlap between what was 18 U.S.C. 242 and this last remaining statute or code, pardon me. And this is called 42 U.S. Code 1983. And this gets a little bit more specific. But you'll find some overlap in this between 242 and 1983. Every person who under color of any statute, ordinance, regulation, custom, or usage of any state or territory of the District Company, Columbia, subjects or causes to be subjected any citizen of the United States or other person within the jurisdiction thereof to the deprivation of rights and any privileges or immunities secured by the Constitution laws shall be liable to the party injured in an action at law, suit in equity, or other proper proceeding for redress, except that in any action brought against a judicial officer for an act or omission taken in such officer's judicial capacity, injunctive, injunctive relief shall not be granted unless a declaratory decree was violated or declaratory relief was unavailable. Under the deprivation of rights, I'm, I'm adding this because it, there's other publications that support this, but the deprivation of under color of law, deprivation of rights under color of law, incorporates some words and these words are defined in what's called Black's Law Dictionary. And I would encourage you to do a Google search for Black's Law Dictionary and, and look at the definition of some of the words I'm about to say. One of them is threats. What does Black's Law say about threats? Intimidation. Duress. Coercion. Torture, false imprisonment, and kidnapping. There's another one in there, which is violence. All of those words, we encounter those being in action when we go into the public square. Remember when I said in the very beginning of 18 U.S.C. 242, is whoever 
anyone can deprive someone else's civil rights. Now, whether it is done under the authority or not, but I can have my rights deprived by another citizen. They could falsely imprison me by not allowing me to leave because I'm surrounded by three or four people that could beat the living daylights out of me. I could be at a school board meeting. Now, this is an authority because they've taken an oath. That they could threaten me that I wouldn't be able to speak to them unless I give up another constitutional right. They could suggest to me that, well, in order for you to address us, first of all, you need to tell us who you are and where you live. Then you need to control your speech that you can only speak to one person. You cannot say anything personal or maligning or argumentative. I mean, they're, they're controlling what I can say. So it's not free speech. It's permission of speech based upon someone presenting that they have authority that they can control what I say and to whom I can say it. But in order to do that, I have to tell them who I am. Now, most people do this under consent, that they have something to say, they want something to say, they feel empowered that I can address my school board, so they will simply state their name and where they live, unaware that they've just surrendered a constitutional right. And when a person like myself goes in there and objects to surrendering my Fourth Amendment right, I look strange that this is a weirdo coming in here. Why doesn't he just obey the authority? And I'm not opposed to people consenting and giving up their name. Not opposed to it at all. But don't say you're free. Say that you're consenting and complying to the unlawful requests of an authority. Don't pretend that you're free. Recognize that you are willing to give up something for something that you believe you're going to get in return, and that is the ability to speak. But since they've got your name and your address, it's only reasonable that you would obey them and you would only talk to one person and and control your speech. See, there's another thing that's in Black's Law Dictionary, and that's called prior restraint. That is the ability to control someone in the event that something could happen in the future there's no evidence that something can happen in the future. It's, it's like um, you're driving to go to the bank, to the ATM, and you put your card in and you push your pin in to get your money and you drive off. But there's a neighboring security camera on the adjacent building near the ATM and they're recording you putting in your pin in your card and your vehicle, and your license plate, whatever. And somebody would say, prior restraint would say that that is a crime to record somebody at an ATM putting their card in with their PIN. And that in itself is not a crime. The crime would be if they were to take that person's card or their PIN and have any, I don't know, personally private information and use it to commit a crime, that they were going to somehow hack the bank and use that to create a false identity or steal money or something. So they can't tell somebody to stop recording in public in the possibility of a crime occurring. They can only 
seize it or terminate it if a crime did occur. Prior restraint is another one of those Black's Law defined words. So I wanted to go into a little bit of a deeper understanding about the meaning of words and that what we believe to be the meaning of a word may not equate to the way the word is being presented in relationship to what the law says. So I'll give you another example, and this is a little bit of a deeper dive again. But we all live on our, our property. We live in a in a, a townhouse. We live in a single-family dwelling. We live in an apartment complex. And we consider this private property. The only way it becomes private is when we have signpostings or a fence that is clearly marked to identify this as private property. Even with that private property sign, there is an implied license for others to go onto the property. Now, the, the private property sign is intended to revoke that license, but the only way it's truly revoked is when your property has been secured with walls and, and gates and such. So that implied license is available to anyone. It's available to the Mormon missionaries and the Jehovah's Witnesses to come knock on your door. It's available to FedEx and Amazon and UPS to come and deliver packages to your home. It's available to the landscaping company that may want to offer you a discount for cutting your lawn. The only way that you can terminate that implied license is to revoke it. So when the local person is coming trying to sell me on the upgrade of my roof and they ring my doorbell, I have the option. I say, good day. Um, I'm not interested in what you're offering. I'm revoking your license to be on my property. I'm going to ask you to leave my property or I'm going to have, I will uh, call the police for you trespassing after being warned. So I can revoke that license. I can have them removed. And when we're in the public place, out in public, at the post office, or at the DMV, or even the local mall, these places are also of public accommodation. But there's different rules that apply for, say, the shopping mall than for the DMV, the clerk of courts, your post office. These are state, federal, or municipally owned facilities that are there to serve the public. So anyone can go on those properties. And there is no lawful way to be trespassed to revoke that license from a public property. Like I can revoke a license on my property from anybody who comes on it. Just ask them to leave. It's my property. But at a place that's taxpayer funded, they can't just ask you to leave and threaten you to be the license revoked unless you have committed a crime, a crime is about to occur, or a crime has already occurred. Now, this is a separate conversation for a separate day to understand what constitutes a crime. Many people would say, show me the injured party. And there's a valid argument for that. 
But there are parents that are going to school board meetings and school board officials are saying, you either abide by our policy or I'm going to have you removed from the school. Now, a seasoned, well-trained law enforcement officer will know that they can't lawfully remove a person from public property just because a school board person asked them to leave. They would be violating their oath. The only way they could ask them to leave is if there was a crime. And you cannot criminalize the First Amendment right to speak. You can't criminalize not providing your name and address. There's Supreme Court precedent that's, that talks about that. So as we continue through my podcast journey, I'm going to be teasing this apart a little bit deeper and to help listeners understand that we have power and it requires a little bit of effort to listen to me come over into my membership at Cultural Contrarian which is available in the link in the podcast notes that you can gain access to this learning and teaching and I always encourage people as you gain knowledge that builds courageous a, a courageous fiber in your being that The things that I speak about and talk about should not be applied out in the public square. And I I can tell you why. The why is because it's not reasonable, according to the Supreme Court, for officers to relinquish authority to a citizen. And they have... They have their side of the fence and we have our side of the fence. And 99.99% of the citizens on the other side of the fence, not the public side of the fence, are not prepared to deal with law enforcement lawfully. And they consent, they submit, they comply, and they surrender. And that anyone that were to know their rights and stand up in the face of authority is a very dangerous thing, not only for the citizen, but it's dangerous for the police. It's like they've been trained when an officer does not have control of the situation, things can go south very badly and very fast. Now, if it's a law-abiding citizen, the south is not a risk to an officer. It's a risk to his ego and their, and their, to their position in their fraternity. And that's one thing I want to be very mindful of that I want to be speaking in love to those in law enforcement and encouraging people that want to learn how to stand on their rights to recognize that these individuals have a tough job and they're not prepared to encounter people that are educated, equipped, and empowered. And loving them is the best way to go. And even when they may make mistakes, give them a little bit of grace because you've been given grace. You didn't deserve it. Give them just a dose of it back. But anyway... Thank you so much for listening today. And we're going to continue down this path a little bit more. And I, I don't want to take you into the weeds, but in the weeds is where inside of Cultural Contrarian and I provide the tools and the, the, the lessons and the actual Supreme Court rulings to help people gain strength and knowledge one step at a time, one step at a time. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for joining Modern Babylon and Cultural Contrarian. Take care.